Welcome to Agony of Defeat. Uh, my name is Jonathan Weiler. I'm a professor of global studies at UNC. And I'm Matt Andrews. I'm a professor in the Department of History here at UNC Chapel Hill. And so we, we lied a little bit at the end of our last episode. We said our next episode, we were going to focus on electoral politics. Well, the topic is politics, so the, lying is part of the... the that, that, <laughs> that's what one does in politics. Right. So this is a demonstration of that which we want to discuss. Yes. Uh, but we do want to talk about the MBA today, uh, in part because... The NBA has become clearly the most political of all leagues. Uh, and we're just interested in talking about some of the tentacles of politics that the NBA has been reaching into in, in recent years. Yeah, we do like talking about basketball, obviously, and we'll get sort of uh, wonky with some of the basketball stuff. But when we were thinking about sports and politics, what venue, which sport, which league and, and arena seems to be the most political these days? And we both thought, oh, wait, it's the NBA. And let's but, maybe talk about why. But by far. By far. Yeah, yeah not, not even yeah. close. And, you know, we talked a little bit about this before, Matt, that we've had players who I think of as kind of lone wolf activists. Like Kareem back in the 60s and 70s. Craig Hodges in the early 90s. Who Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf. Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf. But that's what they were. They were lone wolf. They made political statements. They really had no support from their peers. And what's changed about the NBA in recent years— Well, hold on. It sounds to me like you're getting to the thesis right <laughs> right now. We have things we have to do. We're supposed to do— we yeah, have, you're right. <laughs> we are compartmentalizing the podcast. We have—what do we call these things— um, we have segments, I guess, is what, yes, what we're calling right. it. The first one we're going to do is after further review. And so for those of you who haven't been been listening, shame on you. Um, but what we like to do is we like to revisit something that we talked about last time and wish we would have said. And I think you're going to take, take I, this I one, I am, right? and yeah. I apologize for having jumped the gun. But If Olivia was here, you'd be in big trouble. I would be. Keaton's laid back, so yeah, you're yeah. all right. We, um, last time when we talked about baseball and we talked especially about the Brooklyn Dodgers, a baseball franchise that for decades had been a woeful franchise yeah. uh, from the 1920s to well into the 1940s. And in the 1940s, they signed Jackie Robinson, and they broke the so-called color line in baseball, and they became a dominant team. It turns out they got good. Right. That yeah. turns out they got good. Lo and behold, when I you know. actually open the talent pool right. to all the good players, you get better. And we, we, of course, talked a lot about the legendary Jackie Robinson. But I wanted to just mention a couple of the other great black players sure. who helped make the Dodgers a dynasty. From 1947 to 1956, a 10-year period, the Dodgers appeared in the World Series six times. Hmm. It wasn't just Jackie Robinson. It was people like Roy Campanella, the great catcher who won three MVPs. Three MVPs, yeah, three MVPs. exactly. Um, Robinson only won one, I believe. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Joe Black, the mm -hmm. pitcher. Uh, and Don Newcomb, another pitcher. Yeah. All these guys played in the Negro Leagues before they were allowed to play in the major leagues or as the Negro Leagues was still winding down in the late 40s. Don Newcomb actually was the first player ever to win the Cy Young Award. Hmm. In 1956. So yeah. we're talking about incredibly talented, great Hall of Fame players yeah. who all helped 
make that Dodgers dynasty in the 40s and the 50s? Well, a couple of thoughts. One is I, I once heard Jackie Robinson say, or at least I, I, I read that he once said, that he never really felt comfortable as a Major League Baseball player until he had Don Newcomb on his team. Interesting. Because he knew he had a pitcher who could throw a fastball at the other team's head. So if the white pitcher on the other team threw a fastball at his head, he knew that Newcomb was right. was giving it back. So, so a pitcher actually had his back. A pitcher had his back, finally. And I'm sure some right. of the other Dodger pitchers t- uh, did as well, but Newcomb definitely had his right. back. Right. But it speaks to the way, and I, so I guess we did this. When we talk about the civil rights movement, we talk about Martin Luther King Jr. And when we celebrate the civil rights movement, we celebrate it through Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Yeah, it's not just Martin Luther, that, Luther King right. Jr. There are a lot of other people out there. There are a lot of other great black baseball players that helped make all that possible for the Dodgers. Yeah. So that's our that's our after further review of the of, of the week. Okay, and then in the other segment that we're supposed to do is what we're calling, or that, excuse me, that we want to do, is called the AOD of the week, the agony of defeat of of the week. And this is where someone get, gets the rant. And I went on. I felt a little self um, conscious last time. I went on a kind of a Facebook rant, which I'm still off Facebook, by the way, in case you're in case you're wondering. Um, you said that you had nothing you wanted to rant about. You were rant free. Oh, I, I thought of I thought of a rant, but but I'm you, but I'm happy to defer to you. You want a rant? rant I'm angry. You're angry. Yeah. Oh. So so why why don't you share that anger with with us? I think this needs to be said at least once, and I, I say this as someone who I, I like football. I'm I'm interested in college football, I suppose, but I, to be honest, don't really care whether our football team wins or or loses. It's not about wins and losses, Jonathan. <laughs> um, but I am so angry for our students and our faculty and our alumni because we have this guy, Larry Fedora, who is our football coach. It seems to me that you can be a bad football coach, which I think he indisputably is. I mean, let the record show he's not winning games. Um, it seems to me that you can be kind of a kind of a bad guy. Um, if I can speak frankly here, who says things like CTE does not exist, concussions are not related to football, or the evidence is not there, and say thing, says things like, you know what, if we get rid of football, this country is going down the, the tubes. But I don't think you get to be... Right, that, just to clarify yeah. that point, that, that football is what makes America a great country. Yeah. It what, it's what makes us a great military force. And he once had a general or someone tell him that, so that's and the And thinks. the attack on football, and this is a narrative that's out there yes. now. Merrill Hodge, the former running back, who yeah. himself had to relearn how to speak because of what head injuries did to him as a player, has a new book out called The War Against Football. The War Against Football, right? And so there's this narrative that there's a war against football, and it's because liberals just hate America, I suppose, that they want to wage this war against football. They hate the masculine displays that are football. That is football. And that the the legitimate health concerns... The savage ballet that is football. The savage ballet. Mm, that That the legitimate health concerns are not really legitimate health concerns. Right. And that strikes me as just... Especially for a college coach. Especially for a college Much coach. Much worse yeah, no. than for a pro coach. If you're in the pro, say what you want. Right, right. You, but but it is just so irresponsible. You represent a university. And it's worrying in terms of how well you're really going to take care of your players. Yo, who, whose rant is this? Right. I thought it was my rant. Oh, sorry. You're, no, no, no. Keep on ranting. No, good. Go <laughs> no, with no, it. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with I'm, you. I'm, 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 I'm getting more annoyed as I think about that particular set of comments he made 
during the summer. You got pulled into my rant tractor beam. Uh, no, it's what I was going to say is you're, look, you're like the Death Star. I'm like the way. Death Star. Yeah. I don't think you get to say these things and not win. I don't think you get to be that stupid. He's not stupid, but he's saying stupid things. He's saying irresponsible. Yeah, he said fine. He's saying irresponsible yeah. things and lose football games and get paid what you're getting. That to me is yeah. irresponsible from the point of view of the athletic department. Therein lies my rant. Rant said. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. Let, let's talk basketball. Right. I'm all ornery about football now. So to jump back in. Yes, wherever you were. Uh, we, again, had been noting that the NBA has become such a political league, uh, by which we mean that it's really become a norm and almost an expectation that players will take political stands. And that runs contrary to what we've seen from big-time athletics in recent decades. Yeah, and it's, well, the players both are provocative and political. At the same time, they haven't done what's clearly the no-no in American sports, which is, well, think back to when Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf sort of turned his back on the American flag during the national anthem or or bowed his head in, in, in prayer. They're not messing with the anthem you know, which is a symbolic um, moment and clearly sends heads spinning and heads exploding all throughout the, the U.S. But they are engaging in a lot of issues and having their voice heard um, in a way that we don't see anything like that. In, well, they, some of the NFL players have been outspoken, but certainly very few. And then we don't see that in, in Major League Baseball and certainly not, not the NHL. Right. Right. So, so what are some of those issues? That well, I'm thinking about when LeBron James and others wore the "I Can't Breathe" T-shirts, which in some ways was a statement akin to what Kaepernick was doing in in the NFL, letting people know that they were aligning themselves with the victims in these these moments, and they were not happy with what the police was doing to young black men. We just had NBA players the last uh, couple of days, particularly in in California, donning the enough t-shirts in response to yet another mass shooting shooting in in Southern California. They had the names of the victims on the back. I know the Houston Rockets, they did something about this after the mass shooting at that high school um, in, in Houston last year. For me, personally, I wish that they would go a little bit further. I wish that it wasn't just enough. I wish that the shirts said, you know, to hell with the Second Amendment or we need gun control in right. this in this right. country. But just or, 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 or the NRA is a serious problem. Is, yeah, right. Yeah. Right. I yeah. mean, so it's a little unclear what enough means. Right. But you're right. We're talking about the largely conservative world of professional sports. This is something I think. And among the things I think is really interesting about it is the degree to which the players, and I think we should talk a little bit about why this might be, have the support of the league leadership itself. I mean, Adam Silver, the commissioner, has said very clearly that he supports the players in taking stands and expressing political viewpoints on a whole range of issues. He calls the players in his league citizens, which they are, and right. he respects them as right. citizens. I mean, can you imagine Roger Goodell saying that? No, or or no. Jerry Jones 
calling right. his players citizens. Right. Yeah. Or, yeah. or Rob Manfred, the commissioner of Major League Baseball, saying something like that. Who? <laughs> <laughs> to continue our theme of <laughs> yeah. baseball ignorance. Right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, of course, the two most respected coaches in the NBA, Steve Kerr and Greg Popovich, yeah. themselves have become incredibly politicized in recent years. Right. They are outraged with the current president, with the current administration, with his policies, and they pull no punches. Uh, una- <laughs> talking about un- unapologetic. Him. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. As do some of the players. LeBron James, you a bum, I believe, is what no, he texted right. to the president right. of the United States, which created a furor coming from Fox News right. and the right. Right. So, so an interesting question, why is the NBA the distinctively political league? It's a great question. Does it just have to do with racial dynamics? Is it the numbers that it's a predominantly African-American league? Right. Is there something... You know, I, I think that's part of it. I suspect it has something to do with the intrinsic value of the players in basketball. Um, the players bring a lot of value to their team. Other than the quarterback in the NFL, does any player bring any more value to his team than the NBA star, even the NBA journeyman? Yeah. So in that context, let's just talk about LeBron for a minute. Sure. Okay. So LeBron James is on the Cleveland Cavaliers from the time he enters the league in 2003 till 2010. And the last few years he's in Cleveland, they perennially win 75, 80% of their games. They're a championship contender. He leaves Cleveland for Miami for four years, and Cleveland becomes a joke and a laughingstock. So you're telling me it's LeBron? (laughs) Three times in four years he's not there. They end up getting the number one pick in the draft, right, because they're so bad. Right. He returns to Cleveland for four years. They go to the NBA Finals for four straight years, and then he leaves Cleveland this year, and they're going to have the worst record in the NBA again this year. Right. Right. The, the, the straight Ooh, line. Are, are you trying to convince me that LeBron James <laughs> brings value? <laughs> Is so, that what's going so, on here? So as one example. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and there's no other sport, including football, where you can draw that straight a line between a single player and the success or failure of a team. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, I think each player brings tremendous value. I think the owners recognize the value. Let's be clear. Let's not praise Adam Silver too much. I mean, Adam Silver has has basically told the players in the NBA not to take a knee. That you know, that's a that's fight. Right. That's a fight that's we right. don't want. That's and now right. I think maybe he's right in the sense that that did not go well for NFL players. I support the action 100%, but it, it, it muddled the conversation. It, it, it became a conversation about patriotism versus the, the lack of patriotism rather than a conversation about gun violence and about racial violence. Well, and, and further to your point about Adam Silver, Matt, Adam Silver also is a pragmatic guy who I think understands the economic realities of his league, mm-hmm. one of which is that the players are the brand. Yes. The players are the show. And therefore, he has very good reason, pragmatic economic reason, to be supportive of them. I, th- I, I think that's right. I think he's probably intellectually predisposed to support them. Yes. But he realizes that it's the only way to go as far as, as, far as business goes. That, that's right. You can't get into a fight with LeBron James. So, Matt, speaking of players with value, yeah. Um, Tell us about your 
recent experience buying tickets. Oh, to yeah. See, to see Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors play in Charlotte. Yeah, so I'm a lifelong Warriors fan. I grew up in Oakland, California. I grew up going to, to Warriors games, seeing guys like Phil Smith and um, Purvis Short. I, you know, I actually cheered for Joe Barry Carroll <laughs> once. Um, so I've been a, a Warrior fan for quite a while. Boy, it was a long brutal slog to the last few years. Do you remember when they won the NBA title in 1975? I don't. Are you old enough? So you were seven. I was six, seven. Yeah, so you weren't quite old enough to remember. I actually became a fan pretty much the next year, 76. But, you know, Rick Barry was a god in my household. Um, Matt, I I just want to say quickly, we're the same in this regard because the last time the Knicks won an NBA title, my basketball team, was 1973. And the first season I remember is the following season. Is the year after, yeah. So which is when I was seven years old. Six so. turning seven, yeah. yeah, yeah so, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, anyway. it's the same thing. There's a developmental thing going I, I guess on so, yeah. 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 Well, boy, I, I became kind of a fan at the wrong time because they were so bad for so long. Right. But right. anyway, now they're obviously not only just a great team, but I think sort of a they're, they're a transcendent oh, uh, yeah. ad- athletic All-time team. All-time great have transformed the sport. That's right. And so I really want to see the team. I was talking with my daughter the other night and in a desperate attempt to make my daughter love me more, <laughs> to make her respect her father, I said, hey, let's go see the see the Warriors. They're you can good. put a price on love, it turns out. <laughs> oh, and I'll, maybe I'll tell you what it is in just a second. It ain't cheap. Um, so we got online. The Warriors are going to be in Charlotte, which for those of you who don't know is a little more than two hours from, from here. And they're going to be here in, in February, and we got online. And it's and the only time they'll be here this only year. Only time they will be here. Look, I don't want to drive um, all the way to Charlotte and have kind of bad tickets. I'd like to be down on the lower level. That was that was the rule, lower level. And uh, it ain't cheap, it turns out, to see the Warriors in, in Charlotte. It was about, I mean, when you add it all up, it's going to be about $500 a ticket. Uh-huh. So that's a grand for one game. Well, and let us note that... Did you note my math there? 500 f- times two. Very good. Okay. But I just want to note that if you were trying to go to any other Charlotte game on the schedule right. for similar tickets on StubHub, you'd probably be paying like 40 or $50. Not only that, Jonathan, but it was after I bought the ticket and immediately had buyer's remorse. I said, wait a minute, what just <laughs> happened? I looked at how much it would be to see the Hornets in Oakland. Just just out of okay. curiosity, right? Because I keep hearing there's no more expense. You see the Warriors are offering month passes for $100. You can't even see the game. You're standing, You're standing and you can't see the game. You can pay for the parking and you can pay for the concessions, but you can't see the game. Anyway, so Warriors tickets ain't cheap. Hornets tickets in Oakland were cheaper than Warriors tickets in Charlotte. And at first that seems counterintuitive, but then you realize supply and demand, right? right? You can see the Warriors 40 plus times when you live in Oakland. You can only see Steph and the Warriors once. Please, Steph, do not have a hurt groin. Please <laughs> do not turn an ankle. KD, right. don't have mononucleosis. Please, please don't just take a night off because <laughs> yeah, but, there's a back-to-back Bo- game. Boogie and, Cousins, don't have punched yeah. Draymond Green yeah. in the face so he can't play. I want to see all the stars. Um, but to that point, I mean, the original point about the value that that the players bring. You know, Steph Curry has a five-year $201 million contract. And when he signed that, there were a lot of, look, of, of course it's evidence that society's values are all right. out of whack, right. that we pay our teachers this and we pay our basketball right. players right. that. Right. But think of how much value 
Steph Curry has brought to the Golden State Warriors. When their owner bought the team, when, when Lakeup bought the Warriors in 2010, he got the team for $450 million. I, I don't even want to know what their value is. Well, so he actually <laughs> overpaid, I think, okay. at, at $450 right, so million. $450 million. Yeah. Then they draft Curry. Um, they were the 18th ranked franchise in the in the league. In terms now, of franchise value. Franchise values. Now, uh, all the values have gone up because of the TV contracts. Well, why have the TV contracts gone up? They've right, gone up because we right. want to see Steph. They, we right. want to see KD. We want right. to see LeBron. Um, the Golden State Warriors were just placed at over $3 billion. So you pay Steph $200 million over five years. Your franchise goes up five, six-fold. You can't tell me that he's not right. worth it. Right. You know your, your franchise value is, is $2.5 billion greater in seven years. In seven years. It's because of Steph Curry. Right. I mean, right. KD doesn't hurt. Clay Thompson doesn't Absolutely. hurt. But it's because of that guy. Yes. You know what the number one, um, the, the most expensive NBA franchise I'm is? I'm assuming it's the Knicks. It's the Knicks, yeah. yeah because yeah. of New York. Right, yeah. which just demonstrates that you don't have to win to you have, don't have to high win. value. And there's no one in sports who deserves less credit than James Dolan, the Knicks owner. <laughs> that's probably that, right. That'll be a rant of the week another time. There but, we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I think yeah. that's true. So let me play a little hypothetical with you here, Jonathan. We're t- we were um, just talking now about how much value the, the players have. When I teach my baseball history course, and I know you know this story, I like to talk about what baseball players did in 1890. In 1890, Major League Baseball players were found themselves under the... Um, they were conscripted by the reserve clause, this, this, this rule that they couldn't move from team to team. There was no such thing as free agency in Major League right. Baseball. And so players were not getting market value. So in 1890, a bunch of the stars, they left their National League teams, and they created something called the Players National League, right? So this is a league uh, for players, by players. Players were going to share in the profits. It's a, it's a radical vision in American sports where the players are the managers also. They're the owners and, and also. And it only lasted one year. It lasted one year. Right. Yeah, it did right. not go well. Um, the National League fought fire. They gave away free tickets to games. There was a recession. A bunch of things went wrong. It didn't work out. That could have been the way professional sports proceeded, right, with players being the owners. Instead, from then on, players have been employees. Can you imagine NBA players doing the same thing? Right. And it wouldn't be about the money in some ways. It would be about control. Right. Saying, right. we're going to create our own league. So, would so it if work? like Kevin Durant and Chris Paul and Steph and LeBron, for example, decided, I'm thinking of four people who are not only great players, but considered leaders in the sport. Right. If they decided to branch off and form their own league, yeah. what would happen? What would happen? Yeah, we're... We're walking away from our contracts. We're creating our own league. Would the fans go with them? Or what do the fans want to see? Do they want to see LeBron James, or do they want to see that purple and gold Lakers uniform? Right, right. My, my instinct is to say that it would definitely be viable, right? I don't know if it would become we – we might have two leagues at that point. Oh, we'd have right. two leagues for a while. Right. We'd have an NBA league yeah. and we'd have a players we'd league. We'd have a players league. But it's hard to imagine that that new players league would not attract media contracts, for example, and would not attract serious money 
and fan interest and all of those I think things. the advertisers want to go where LeBron is. They don't right. want to go where the Cavaliers are. And they want to go where Steph is. Yeah, and KD and so on. I mean, if those guys did it, and I mean, think about the way, you know, Keaton's generation engages with sports. Here's where we're going to get ageist. Yeah. Um, it's, the, it's the fantasy sports generation, right? Where it's all about individual players. That's right. I mean, players right. matter more than the teams. For us, growing up, it was yeah. team. Team first, yeah. baby. Yes, all, that's right. All the time. So I think that plays into the way sort of the, the younger generation thinks about sports. And, and to your point, I think part of what would happen with this new players league is that it would have a tremendous amount of support among younger folks. Yes. I think the 25, 30-year-old fan would be perfectly happy to root for a player's league. I think I could see yeah. older sticks in the mud right. like us and people who are <laughs> older than us might still feel like, well, this is not the way a league is supposed to be. It is about the teams. and You know, but even then, I think of my father, who's not, you know, he— a generation older than I am, so he's this generation we're, we're, we're talking about. Who does he want to see? Does he want to see his Warriors, or does he want to see Steph? I think he wants to see Steph. But, I mean, he wants to see Steph on his Warriors, I guess. Right, that so, would, ideally. But think about the draft. So you get all these guys in a room. You know, They're talking about televising the All-Star draft and what a big, big deal this is going to be. You could do pay-per-view for the draft. Right? You got your 10 teams, and let's say LeBron is drafting a team and Steph is drafting a team and KD is drafting a team. Could you imagine the interest around that? Well, and further to your point, Matt, and we're going to have to pick up this thread next time, okay. I think. But if we think about superstar college players like uh -huh. Zion Williamson, yes, the absolute monster who plays for Duke, yeah. we'll be there for one year, and then we'll go to the NBA, who's, what is he, 6'7", 285, jumps through the roof, is incredibly nimble and athletic. Yeah. He's just, he's a freak. He is a savage I mean, ballet if he, himself. <laughs> if he had to make a choice, would he want to play in the NBA, or does he want to play with LeBron and KD and Steph? Yeah. I don't even think that's a question okay. where guys like him would want to go. Right. Right? Well, this must be, I bet, you think this idea is in the back of Adam Silver's mind when he's thinking this stuff? That I, we could actually lose, he, he can think of them as his employees, but they're not his employees. They are his master. Yes. Right? I mean, they yes. are in charge of the league. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he's thinking about and these we, things. And we should note, by the way, that this all of the sort of anxiety about how it's the inmates run the asylum right. has its own very racialized yeah, and, connotations. And yet it's still said by but um, it's still said, team but, owners. But that whole notion that the players are basically the ones creating super teams now and management doesn't have control anymore. Jimmy Butler... The Minnesota Timberwolves star just got himself traded to the 76ers because right. he had all the leverage and how upset people are by that. But it speaks to the reality of the sport now, which is that it really is the players who seem to be driving driving the train. I think that's absolutely right. Yeah, we'll have to talk more, more about this. Right. Um, but we're supposed to uh, – no, scratch that. We want to. We want to engage with a um, listener question. So I think this is, John, this is good news. The fact that there is a listener question is evidence that there is a listener. <laughs> at least so, one. At least one. Yeah. So so, yeah. so we are doing well. And so our wonderful producers, Olivia and Keaton, 
have been pounding the pavement and finding our listeners. And apparently one of our listeners wants to ask us a, a question. So let's hear what that question is. Hi, I'm Alex Berry. I'm a student from Boston and a very happy Red Sox fan. My question is, do you think American or National League teams are more affected by playing by two different sets of rules during the World Series? So the clearest advantage, it seems to me, so for those who don't know, when the World Series is played in the National League Park, there's no designated hitter. Right. When the World Series is played in the American League Park, there is a designated hitter. The American League teams, because they play with a DH all year, have somebody on their roster who is a, a hired gun hitter. Right. You know, like David Ortiz, the Red Sox yeah. great slugger, was a DH. The National League teams tend not to have a player like that. Right. And it does seem to me that that's a clear advantage for the American League. Really? That they have that player who's on their roster for those so games. So you think overall the advantage goes to the, the American I, League? I actually do, yes. Well, that's interesting. Well, yeah. is, I thought the, the answer was obvious the other way. <laughs> that the, the Because advantage... they lose the DH in the National League Park. Yeah, and the National League pitcher bats all the time, and the right. American League pitcher never bats. And right. so you get these American League pitchers who waddle up to the plate who haven't held a bat in like five or six years and right. suddenly have to hit. But I'm not convinced you're wrong, actually. Yeah, because, I because what I was going to say, Matt, is that though there are exceptions, uh -huh. even the National League pitchers who hit are horrible. Right. Sure. They tend to hit 130, yeah. 140. Take away Madison Bumgarner and yeah, Ray, who, they, they who strike out three and half or three quarters of their at bats. So I actually think the difference between an American League DH and whatever bench player the National League player uses as a DH in those games hmm. is clearly greater than the hitting prowess of American League pitchers. And National League pitchers. I actually have no idea what you just said. That was <laughs> very complicated. I'm not sure I do either. But, but I'm going to have to think about this. I, um, again, my initial reaction is to disagree. But can I just say something? What I think this question is actually asking, I think this question is actually asking, is the designated hitter good or bad? Right. You're an American League guy. Right. I'm a National League guy. Right. But I know, I mean, I'm positive that when it comes to the question of the designated hitter, you know that it is an abomination. It has no place in the game. And that the National League is far superior to the American League because they do not allow for a designated right. because it Because what all fans want when they watch athletes perform is to watch them be <laughs> utterly incompetent at what they do, which is what happens when, when pitchers hit. It makes me feel better about myself. <laughs> well, yeah. there, there is a leveling effect <laughs> yeah. that, I, that I have to defer to. I, yeah. There is something also called strategy, um, which I don't see happening in the American League that I appreciate in the National League. But touche. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, we, we, we may or may not revisit this, this issue in <laughs> the right. future. Okay. Well, Matt, this was fun. It was fun. Uh, this was episode five, by the way. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. We did two a couple years ago. Right. right? One for the thumb. <laughs> so the thumb. I think nice. we're all very excited about that. <laughs> all right. Um, so if you liked the podcast, please listen, subscribe, and share. And frankly, even if you don't like the podcast, <laughs> yeah, that's right. we want you to listen, subscribe, and share. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on SoundCloud. We're still looking into Stitcher. I know it exists, so I'm hopeful that we get on there Never at heard some of it. point. 
Um, we want to thank our fantastic producers, Keaton and Olivia. Absolutely. Without whom this podcast does not happen. Without whom we would not know how to turn on the microphone. We really wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, that's so right. But they do more than that. They to be do clear. much more yeah. than that. Yeah. So thanks to them, and we will see you next time.